What is up, everyone? Welcome into episode 92 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikesLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up, we'll talk a little bit about education, and we'll talk about orchestrating your grooves around the kit. This is in reference to Yost Nichols' current article in the June issue. Our featured artist this time is Medesky Martin and Woods' Billy Martin. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Bucks County Drum Company semi-solid mahogany poplar drum set. That wasn't easy to say. And we'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh man, that was way off. Do it again. <laughs> Three, two, one. There we go. <laughs> I think we played like a rudiment on that one. That was crazy. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> Working on opening up those flams. Ah, uh, how are you, buddy? I'm okay. What are we at? 92. So, yeah. 92, 92. Everything's good. Uh, hey, before we get into things, I just wanted to mention for those of you guys that just heard the open and realized that that snare sounds nothing like my normal snare. That's actually the 14 by 6 sugar percussion cherry snare. I'm going to be reviewing it next week on the podcast, but I just detuned the hell out of it. And that drum loves being tuned low, man. You reviewed it like a few years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, it, what did we say? July issue of 2015? Yeah. Yeah, I think we talked about yeah. this in one of the first episodes that those three drums, it was like a cedar, a cherry, and a ebony drum. Yeah. Yeah, nice drums. Really, I liked how the, just how cleanly they're constructed. Everything is just so clean. They're gorgeous. They're gorgeous. Yeah. So we'll give them, I'll give it a full review on next week's mm-hmm. podcast, but... Just uh, if you heard that intro and you're like, that's a fat snare, that's the 14 by 6 <laughs> sugar percussion uh, solid cherry snare. So, all right, maybe it's Stave, not solid, but it's an amazing drum. So, what's new in your world, bud? I'm in the middle of recording a full length, couple of full length records, actually. It's funny, everything kind of piles up at once. Like, I have nothing to do, and that's when I do all my weird stuff with electronics. I'm like, right. oh, cool, I'm kind of finding a thing. And then I'm like, oh, I've got to tear my, everything down and do an actual record. Like, boo. <laughs> boo Poor Dawson has to be a session drummer. <laughs> so, yeah, I've got, I've got to finish one up. And then remember I was talking about that, uh, what was it, Hit Record? What is that website? Yeah, yeah, hitrecord.org. Yeah, finally got the finished remix that I now have to overdub drums on from that track I did a long time ago. Cool, Whenever man. That was a month ago. So, yeah, all this, a lot of that stuff's popping up. And I'm using my, uh, right now, I'm using my old Ludwigs. They always seem to win, man. Something about old That's Ludwigs, awesome. they just, they work in the studio. <laughs> like, it's yeah. unbelievable. They're the, they're the Fender P bass of drums. And I kind of you know. feel like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, why don't I try something else? But I'm like, no, nah, they're right there. Let me just set them up. I'm like, yep, they work. They work perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't need to get flat. Put that to doom. They just work. It's perfect. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, great drums are great drums. I mean, that's one of the f- things that you and I have talked about forever is we understand that companies should and need to innovate. But at the same time, they got it right about 50, 60 years ago. Yeah. So it's like just just make sure that it's consistent. And if anything, make sure that what, what breaks down on a drum? Probably not the shell. Yeah. So it's like just make sure that the mounting hardware is always yeah. innovating and getting better and better. But That's what sucks on those old drums is the, the spurs right. are terrible. They, they put, um, which I really hate, is they put the internal mufflers on top and bottom of the toms. So inevitably they start rattling. So you're hitting the yeah. floor, Tom. You're like, why is it rattling? And I'm like tightening. I'm you know adjusting the top side muffler. I'm like, that's it's still rattling. I'm like, ah, there's one on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you look through the head and you're like, there's a lot of mechanical things going <laughs> on inside this shell. Yeah. And it's usually because the felt thing detaches from that washer and then it just mm-hmm. starts to rattle. The rivet starts getting loose. I'm like, man, what a bummer. So you got to take them out. <laughs> I just got to yank them out. 
What a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the innovation is in the shells. I mean, I think that the people that have pushed that, you know, Masters of Maple, um, at least in, in recent years, um, Craviato for sure, Sugar, um, they, I think that it's we're cool. I know what woods sound like. I mean, unless you find a forest that's never been touched and you're only using woods that fell down or, or trees that fell down, I, I get it. But for the most part, we're going to end up with a maple or a maple poplar mix uh, drum, and it's going to be awesome. But uh, the the innovation, I love when I see great innovation in the mounting. I remember when DW came out with their, what is their yes system or no that's yamaha, that's yamaha um, which i still think the, that's one of the best because it's kind of it is it doesn't it really, barely touches anything yeah you don't notice it but it still works and sometimes i mean i think there's also the myth of too much sustain like the day of of wanting the well, toms that, to ring forever like everyone spends all this money getting there <laughs> that getting that to happen and then everyone goes out and buys a little jar of moon gel yeah what or the hell? Like, triple like, ply heads or something yeah <laughs> but but no, I mean, I think that those were great innovations. Um, DW's maglev throw-off, I remember when that first came out, I just sat there turning it up and yeah, down, up like and down the NAM for like an hour. Yeah, that's it's a, a great really throw-off. Nice throw-off. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, those things are those are those are always cool. But those classic drums, they always work, man. Yeah, so, it's usually it's the, the tom mounts and things are just they're just janky on the old stuff. So that's why it doesn't leave the studio very often because I don't want to be like moving the tom mounts around and having them. Yeah. You know, just fall apart, or I'll just replace them. But yeah, for recording, the old Ludwig's, the old Rogers, they still sound great. I mean, the new, the old Slingle, the new stuff sounds Slingle, yeah. great too. But there's just something about, especially when the artist. I was talking to him, and he's like, "I was like, what vibe do you want?" He's like, "Nah, make it sound like the '70s." I'm like, "All right, well, I know what I'm going to nope. use." Well, that's, yeah, done, <laughs> done. Well, how about since I have a kit from that era, I'll just bring that. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, the other thing too, and this is a slightly different topic but i think that's what's saving drum shops right now is that the big box stores will never really get into vintage drums vintage drums still still sound amazing and they're right now they're considered to be very cool they're not just for collectors people like the sounds of them so you have these guys that are opening up smaller drum shops yeah carrying fewer things but they're really curated and every little snare was picked on purpose um and even you know like uh, uh my buddy Bryson Nelson, who's doing the Nelson thing on, mm-hmm. um, you know, on Instagram, same thing. It's like, yeah, I've got eleven drums in stock total, but I curated them. They're very well picked, you know, and yeah. I, um, and I think there's a, a new thing happening that's really cool, and I'm hoping that we're only a few years away from it not just being revival drum shop in Portland, Oregon. I'm hoping that there's, you yeah. know, it seems like every every city's kind of getting their guy now. Philly has right. one. I mean, I think it's. Instagram and, and social media in general has been like the way to make Craigslist a legitimate place to like start a business. You know, it's like because before yeah. Craigslist, you had to like post some real crappy lo-fi photos and right. just posting something on Craigslist makes you kind of feel swarmy because it's just kind of a right. gross website. Yeah, but that's essentially. I mean, it's a, it's like guys having used gear in their in their studios or whatever and selling it online, and it's it's awesome. Yeah, I it, bought and sold cool. so much stuff. It's just. It's great to be able to just connect with people all over the place. Like you've, I, I finally found a bass drum, a twenty-two inch bass drum to match my my Ludwig kit. Yeah, Brett, it's, it's and awesome. Brett, I believe Brett is actually a, a podcast listener, and we had no idea until after I bought it from him. <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So wait, the shop in Philly is it called Philadelphia Pro or Professional Drum Percussion? Or uh, I think it might just be called Phil, Philly. Ah, oh, shoot, I don't know Philadelphia Drum. I I, I just did a video for them. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so it's the first like pro drum shop in Philly, right? Yeah, and they've got like you said, they've got boutique stuff. 
mostly. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, I just did a video for them. They they they've got like over a hundred Byzant symbols in stock right now. Now uh, I sound like I'm doing the commercial. <laughs> it's Philly <laughs> Drum. Philly Philadelphia Drum and Percussion. It's yeah, PhillyDrum.com is the website. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, We've got over a hundred Byzant symbols right, in it. stock, including my transition ride and Benny Sand ride. Uh, you can cut that out, but uh, anyway, so I, I did a, a video for them, and then I went, I went to their website and everything, checked them out, and it was like, yes, this is what every city needs. Every yeah. city. I want to get to that point that we could take a rental car and do a trip through the U.S. hitting drum shops, yeah. not music stores, drum shops. You know, yeah, and, and uh, see a and little bit cool. different. They all have their own slant on it, slightly different tastes. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to drop you off anywhere in America that you want, and you get to take a new drummer that hasn't visited any of these places. Not a new drummer, but somebody that's played for 10 years. They've never visited a, a real good drum shop, and you're just going to take them to show them one drum shop. Now, I'm not saying it's the best. It's just kind of the one that you're like, man, this just shows off how cool drums can be. Where are you going to take them? I've actually not visited many shops. but Really? Okay. Yeah, I mean, just from here Do you have a say, favorite that just has a vibe for you? Or what are you going to um, say? Just knowing that... that Forks is in where it is, mm-hmm. and, and the type of stock that they have. I would say that's probably a shop that a lot of guys would recommend. Place. Or Memphis, just because of all the stuff they've been doing with, with yeah. their uh, their content. It just seems like they're. I mean, again, I've not been there, but I want to go. Both so are it's amazing. more like that. The question is, where do I want to go? <laughs> Those yeah, that's would a good, be good the point. Two shops, and then I saw that uh, Portsmouth Drum Center, Portsmouth has got a whole new facility that he's yeah. setting up, more like a museum. So I, I yeah. think that's pretty awesome. Shane just opened that new spot. That looks incredible. Yeah, um, Shane's a good guy, man. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty. He's been he now, was, he jumped on the uh, the video demos like early on before a yeah. lot of people were doing them. So since then, instead of getting us in trouble and picking our favorites, how about this? Tell so I've been to both uh, Memphis Drum Shop a few times and done a few things there, and then I've been to Forks twice. And the one thing that Forks had that I'd never seen, I'd never seen Joyful Noise snares in person. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they had like a line of them. And yeah. it was early on in my career, and so the credit card didn't have much of a limit, had about a $200 <laughs> limit, and I was like, damn, I'm going to have to save up forever to get one of those. But they sounded so good. Uh, so <laughs> I they, here's one. They had a 24K. They do have a 24-karat gold-plated snare drum. And Ooh. yeah, and Kurt sent it to me to review, and it was. I didn't even really realize what I was doing. I was taking it to like gigs and stuff. I'm like, this snare drum is probably worth more than my life, and I'm like taking it to an outdoor festival. The gig. insurance that they paid to ship that drum cost more than my snare drum. I can guarantee that. Wow. Well, so what I was going to ask is, since I've been to some amazing drum shops. Uh, I love Bentley's here. In, uh, it's pretty close to me in Fresno, California. He's got a cool thing, and he's got a whole vintage room. But I've never been to, is it Maxwell's in New York? Oh, yeah, but that, that actually had a fire in their building. And it's, Wait, what? Yeah, that shop is Recently? Being, yeah, that shop's being moved to a different part of town. Wow. Okay, so before said fire, <laughs> have you been there? I mean, is it a cool shop? I only see pictures online. Uh, yeah, but it's 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 not like as it's it's smaller. I mean, it's in New York City is real it? estate, so it's a smaller kind of right. setup. But yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, it seems I mean, like they always have some cool vintage gear. Always have good Gretsch round badge kits in stock. Yeah, that's yeah. He was I I don't know when he started that shop, but that was probably one of the first of the kind of uh, you know going for more specialized inventory. He didn't have cool. a lot. Of, he wouldn't just take everything, so he had a lot of you know. Well, Craviato was was he was one of the That's first true. 
yep. dealers for that. But yeah, yeah, I'm not sure where the new shop is going to be. I'll have to update once I know. But yeah, well, once we find out, let's uh, make sure we pump it because those <clears throat> those shops are awesome, man. And I've you know, and I've also never been to uh, is it Pro Drum Shop Hollywood Pro Drum Shop? Yeah, never been there either. Uh, I've been there four times, and they've never been open when I was there. That looks I've like more like a classic old school music store, like just totally. stuff everywhere, kind of a yeah. place. Yeah, always some old dude at the counter on a pad <laughs> with like syncopation open to some random page, and he's just like telling you you're doing it all wrong. And <laughs> all right, well, let's get into some education. So this oh, is boy. a really cool topic. Orchestration in general, I think, is something that gets really left out of people's practices. They don't understand that once you learn something. You have to look down and see all the sound options that you have open to yourself and then experiment. And one thing that you'll realize right away, and for any of you guys that have played over a few years, I guarantee you went through this with the paradiddle. You learn the paradiddle on a pad, you put your hands on two different sound surfaces, and you couldn't play a paradiddle anymore. The whole thing fell apart. And that's orchestration. And so just because you know something and you know the rhythm of it, it doesn't mean that you can orchestrate it and freely move it around the kit. That's definitely... For me, one of the full stages of my practice is I learn something, I build up some speed, not too much, and then I work on my orchestrations. And the orchestrations sometimes will literally take me all the way back to zero. Like I literally can't play it because I've moved it somewhere. Now, mm-hmm. um, so we're going to reference Yost Nichols' article on um, in your guys' current issue uh, with Anna Canillis on the cover. And he's probably one of the masters of this that he just takes things that we all do and he orchestrates it slightly different and now it's this whole new thing and it sounds 10 times cooler than anything we've played in our history yeah but exactly it's just because he moved it he didn't add anything there's no new drags and new roughs and new flams it's like he just moved one of his notes the bell of the ride <laughs> and it's and he happens to know which one the cool one is so he moved the cool <laughs> note to the bell of the ride and it just sticks out uh so orchestration with you was this something that occurred to you early on did a private teacher make you do it when did you start moving things that is a very good question probably early on because i I think well i I learned ramon songs so there's really no variation in the groove it's just the orchestration of where the right hand is that's it's either a you know closed hi-hat open hi-hat or a ride cymbal or a floor tom or floor tom (laughs) that's kind of it every time but uh it's funny i just i have a, a few beginning students and I found that they've hit this wall of coordination and independence where they really can't. Their ba- their bass drum is just locked in a certain patterns. They can they can only right. play two or three basic grooves. But so rather than spending every lesson just repeating ourselves or getting them frustrated by trying to show them stuff they can't do yet, I found that if we just mess around with the right hand orchestration, it's a whole different challenge that I didn't expect. Like having them play yeah. one beat, like a basic beat on the closed hi hat. A basic fill and measure four and then go to the ride symbol back the same beat but playing the ride symbol no, it was like it's like oh my gosh what is that I'm like it's not any yeah. it's not any more difficult it's just a different sound just it's yeah, but it's playing. a very different sound i mean that's the thing is what people especially teachers don't understand this a lot of times and definitely students can't understand it but they don't understand how much they're singing this pattern and they're singing the staccato nature of the hat so in their head Way in the back, they're going chick, chick, cat, chick. They're not singing right, right, left. They're singing the actual sound. So when you change that sound to ding, 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 and it keeps swelling and swelling and swelling, it, they're lost. They're yeah, totally lost. I'm just learning that. And I think also just having your hand be open rather than crossed. Yep. It just it, to Every single one of them, it was like they were learning something brand new, and it just... I couldn't put myself back in that that mindset of but it you know it's not anything different just play the same 
<laughs> just play you are room. literally my first teacher. It's like, just do it. I'm like, do you think I'm trying to fail? Is that you, you think I just had this plan coming in here? Like, I'm going to piss off my teacher. But no, I'm like, I would love to do it, man. I just can't. But I, I, that's what I'm saying is I've been doing this thing my whole life with students. And yes, as soon as you move that right hand, you're so used to seeing your right hand on the left side of your body. And now it's on the right side of your body. Yeah. Uh, everything has changed. And and also with a hi-hat, if you just hit it like even moderately hard, it's still it's not going to hurt your ears, but you just move your 5B nylon tip yeah. to a cheap ride. <clears throat> yes. kang, kang, that's, kang, and that's kang. exactly what we're using, like B8 uh, bronze. Sim- bronze. Sure. Teaching and, symbols, yeah. And inevitably, the first time they go, they're just like shanking the edge of the ride. <laughs> and you can <laughs> yeah. see like, like, the, it, like yeah. literally jolt in fear, like, whoa. You know that the, that the tip on the edge where it goes, like, <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you just go chew, chew on some tinfoil, too. Yeah, yeah. Holy hell, you're it's, killing me It's here, pretty kid. ironic that we give beginners like the most harsh-sounding symbols to play on. <laughs> I, that's actually, you know what, since I would say since my second store that I taught at, I've always made sure the student kit was the same level as my kit. And so if I had a DW, the kid gets a DW. If oh, I have cool. heisty signatures, the kid gets it. Because, <laughs> But that wasn't to like try to help them. That was like no excuses. Yeah. Don't tell me that if you had my pedal and if you had my high, you got them. <laughs> so whatever you suck at, you suck at it. And let's admit it and get on with it. So, yeah, the orchestrations... <laughs> can be tough for sure and especially when you yeah. get into pattern work yeah. you know, when you learn a paradiddle diddle and then your teacher says yeah just move that around the kit you're like i can't remember the order of notes is it <laughs> still right left right right left left it's it so all funny. falls apart i don't think i maybe i just got lucky and didn't didn't have that struggle and maybe it was because i was playing uh, quads in the drum line and you were just that always could be it. always orchestrating patterns like that's that's all it is you're taking sticking patterns and orchestrating them so like even now if i just sit down and just mess around inevitably what i come up with for a new groove is me just moving the splitting the right hand up like right. it'll be like a what is that pattern the like the stanton moore paradiddle thing One, right left left right left left right left but the opposite it'd be like a right left right right left oh. right right left yeah that's the that's what i call a garibaldi diddle. okay the, yeah that pattern inevitably uh-huh. i play some sort of thing like that but then i just start moving the right hand like Every sixteenth note moves somewhere, so I'll be going mm-hmm. from like the hi hat on the left side of the kit to the ride cymbal. So it creates this like polyrhythmic pattern that I'm not even aware that I'm creating. Right. Like I do a lot of that, and it's just because I want to hear different sounds more than I'm thinking about the orchestration of it. That's for me. It's sure. more like I want to. What other sounds can I play without? Because I'm a lazy drummer, <laughs> without playing anything <laughs> different. You know, I want to play the exact yeah. same thing, but I want to get something that sounds way different. And it's usually I'm moving the right hand. Yeah, Yost I mean, there's a lot of a lot of the cats that I, I look up to, and Yost is one of them. We can get back to his article in a second, but one of the things that um, I really look up to with these guys is a lot of times, if they broke down what they're actually doing, you would go, "But I can already do that." And it's like, yeah. "Well, yeah, but I just orchestrated it this way, or I popped that note." I mean, that's one thing that I got out of Garibaldi's book, Future Sounds, was the ghosts and the accents were everything. Yeah. The patterns were patterns I already knew. It, there was no complication there. It was just like, oh god, you want me to hit the second, you know, the second note of a diddle? That's the accent. So right, left, right, right. Like, oh, uh, I don't have the physical ability to do that. I got to go down to thirty BPM. Yeah, you know? I had to ask Boss to make a new metronome that went down to twenty because mine only, <laughs> my mine stopped at forty. 
20. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Burr. <laughs> Burr. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still put the subdivision at 16 because I can't keep track of the timing. But uh, So in Yost's um, article, why should people check this out? Yeah, so he's actually up to part 13 of the series. So he, like you said, he's going, you know, his deep dive on how to make get the most out of a few simple ideas. So he, in this part, he's talking about moving the ghost notes to the hi-hat and then the right hand to the ride symbol. So you're okay. playing like your, you know, whatever your favorite sixteenth yep. note ghost note grooves are, but instead of playing the ghost notes on the snare, play them on the closed hi hat. And it's totally. a whole different texture. I do that. I do that a bit too. Usually mix it up. Yeah. Sometimes I'll I'll do half to measure on the snare, half to measure on the hi hat. But it's the same pattern. That's what I like about orchestrating patterns around the kit. It's the same. You don't have to lose the flow. And that's kind of how I think about drum fills too. Like it's usually the same pattern. I just start orchestrating just the move pattern. It. Well, that's that comes down to. I, I was just talking on the phone to uh, the Groove Scribe uh, creator Lou, and we were talking about tom beats. And he said, "Yeah, I just want to get a little bit more into tom beats." And and uh, I said, "Okay, well, you know, this is one thing that a lot of people don't know. There are no tom beats. There are just beats. And you just literally you take the hi hat part and you move it to the floor tom, and then all the ghost notes go up to the rack tom. And then now we call them tribal tom beats or something." Yeah. Because they just because we've gotten rid of the symbols, it feels a little more tribal, a little more hand drum oriented. But the, these you don't need to learn any new grooves. I don't have any tom beats. I only have beats, and it's where I orchestrate them that yeah. makes people think, "Oh, those are tom beats," or "Oh, that's a killer cowbell groove." And it's like, no, it's a paradiddle. Right. I put my right hand on the cowbell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and they're like, "Wait, what?" I've just I've just never heard the right hand so prominent. And it's like, yeah, but it, it's it's not a cowbell groove. It's yeah. I just orchestrated it to the cowbell. I think orchestration is definitely something that doesn't – maybe it's because there's people like you out there that it's a little more natural for, but it definitely doesn't get its own – it's part of the spotlight that it should. It's always yeah. speed, independence, and then like – yeah, and then move it around. That's what everyone says. Then just move it around. It's yeah. like, well, I don't, I don't teach my students that at all. Like when it's time to move it around – I specifically place one limb somewhere and I say, okay, now put your right hand, like you said, on the ride symbol mm-hmm. and we're going to do that. Then you're going to move the, you're not going to move it around. You're going to move the right hand to the floor tom and do it for four bars. Now keep the right hand on the floor tom and move the left hand to the rack tom. See what that does to your, and once we've found these specific placements, then I might say, okay, now let's slow down 30 more BPM and you're going to do four bars of that groove, hi-hat, kick and snare and four bars of that groove while moving around the drum set. And it will inevitably completely fall apart Mm. because they can't think of where they're going while keeping the beat together and then these new sounds and then they hit a rim and for some reason they think that's wrong. And I'm like, no, that's one of those sounds. You get to hit that. (laughs) That's part of the orchestration. That's dope. Do more of that. As soon as you hit a rim, hit three more. And everyone's (laughs) like, that was so cool. So, so yeah, yeah, so I think orchestration is really important. Um, uh, I'll say in the – actually in my interview with Annika, yeah, in this issue – I noticed in one of the tracks she does like a lot of fills where the, like the splash symbols just kind of hit in the middle of the fill. Okay, and that was what I had to ask her about it because I hear guys do that. Like I hear Ronald Bruner Jr. do that, and Chris Coleman. They all they all can incorporate the splashes. I'm like I, if I'm going to hit a splash, I'm usually going to like get blushy <laughs> if I if I hit it. You know, it's like <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed to hit that thing. But she does it, and it's cool. Right. So I asked her like, how do you? What are you doing there? It's kind of interjecting in this really pretty wicked like. 30 second note thing and she's simple answer she's it's just a pattern i'm just replacing some of the tom notes with the splash symbols right so she's not yeah. i don't know that 
anyone it's who does that stuff is thinking, yeah, like the splash is coming in on the E of three. I don't, no, no, you no. wouldn't think that. You just play a pattern and they just hit the left hand on the splash instead of the 10 inch Tom or something. It seems easy, but, you know, like I said, the, you have to understand that these people, or we, I should say, we are singing this fill. And unless you've practiced it, I'm not singing a, you know, I'm singing. Right. And so there's this freedom that comes with taking a pattern and moving it everywhere to every rim to the bell of the cymbal on your left side rather than only the bell on the right side and just exploring the drum set with simple patterns. I mean, yeah. uh, bingo word for the week, Mark Juliana has, that's part of his rate system. You right. know, yeah. it's, uh, um, it's, it's, or no, I'm sorry, drop system. Right. Drop. Um, so dynamics, rate, orchestration, Phrasing. And the P phrasing. phrasing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. <laughs> well, orchestration and placement. <laughs> we know where you're lacking in the drop practice. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, touche, my friend. Well done. I'll be working on my phrasing all day, all day today. So, uh, but yeah, guys, the other thing is it's not out in, you can definitely get Yost Nichols' groove book, which I would highly suggest. And that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. His groove book is. It's one of those things where you think if if you do what I do, which is I put the book on the table and then I listen to the whole CD and I find the coolest sounding ones and I go to that page. Uh, <laughs> a little little transparency there, but uh, but what what happens is you're like, oh, that's the coolest groove ever. You open the page and you're like, wait, inverted paradiddle? That can't be right. And yeah. then you realize, no, it's the orchestration. Yes, it was an inverted paradiddle. He just orchestrated, like you said, he moved his hand back and forth between ride and hi hat, and it became. All of a sudden, your ear only hears the ride. The hi-hat's a little more subdued, yeah. and then there's this new pattern that exists, a hidden pattern inside of the inverted paradiddle. Yeah, so check out um, the article in the June issue of Modern Drummer, and you can check out all of his past articles as well about this stuff, and then definitely check out his book. It's just uh, Yost Nickel, The Groove Book, and then he's got his Phil's book out, but it's only out in German right now. I got to see it while oh, okay. I was in cool. Germany with him, but it will be coming out in English soon, and it's it's fantastic. I got to see him demo some of the stuff that's in that book, and in typical Yoast fashion, it's not a fill book. It's a concepts book yeah. built around improvisation. I mean, these concepts allow you to pl- play any fill in the world, so where really it, good stuff. Where does it go from there? What's left? <sighs> uh, phrasing. Phrasing. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be first in line to buy that book. <laughs> yeah, he's got to step up that phrasing game because mine's on point. So, uh, all right, let's talk about our featured artist. Featured artist this time is somebody that's been very influential to many in, uh, uh, to many drummers and, and many musicians for sure. And that is Billy Martin uh, from the from the band uh, Medusky Martin and Wood. Yeah, love him. And yeah, I mean that was. I would say that might have been my first jam band that I was introduced to on the uh, more on the jazz side without vocals. Yeah. Um, so okay. I was getting into I was in high school. I'm getting into Blues Traveler. I'm getting into uh, Dave Matthews Band, like early, not even album Dave Matthews, but demo Dave Matthews uh-huh. Band. And then somebody said, "Oh, you should check." Or I, I think actually it might have just been that one of them was guesting with bands that I was into at the time. Okay. Like, oh, this is billy martin on drums today in blues traveler or whatever okay. from medusky martin and wood and then i checked them out and then that opened the door to the stuff that uh matt chamberlain was doing with critters buggin mm-hmm. uh is there a band tortoise is that right yeah tortoise they're cool that 
all that stuff got opened up because of Medeski Martin and Wood, and it, I just was like, whoa! I thought jazz was ding jenga ding. You know, yeah. I mean, this is me in high school, right? I don't know, and I'm like, well, this is I could actually play this. This yeah. is really cool stuff. Yeah, and it's funky. And one thing I really loved about Billy's drumming, and still do, is uh, it wasn't beats and fills. It was. It was just, I don't know, it was a soundscape of rhythm and percussion. It was yeah. just beautiful, and it flowed, and it, I couldn't tell the difference between a beat or a fill. They just all blended together, yeah, and exactly it was beautiful. Yeah, exactly what we're talking about, mostly orchestration and, and yep. phrasing. That's yeah. mostly what it is. He, it was the, I think it was the album Shack Man. That might have been the one that came out in the Probably, early, yeah. mid-90s or something. Because I was already kind of into James Brown and that kind of you know, classic funk, instrumental funk stuff, James yeah. Brown and the meters. So then I heard this. I'm like, oh, this is like a modern, you know, better sounding recording of that style. Right. I can hear yeah. more detail. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of more of a like a temporary vibe. And that record I probably listened to every day for a few years. I think it's called, yeah. I think it's called Shack Man. I'm just total different. I mean, that was in time when everyone was going for clean drum sounds. And right. here's this guy with this, like, what? Is that a snare drum or is that a bass drum? Like, I'm not sure what's happening here. I can't, yeah, and I remember <laughs> he was, this is such a weird thing to stick out. But he was the first person I ever heard do a fill involving the rack tom where he specifically didn't hit the sweet spot of the rack tom. Like he hit like almost like a rim shot. Yeah. And it and was that, like this clack. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. Shouldn't the producer have stopped him? Like and said, hey, sorry, why don't we do that take again? That's and then, it, I mean, it took another five years to realize like, oh, my gosh, that's such a such a hip texture. Yeah. Um, and he got, you know, my one dimensional rack tom that only goes doom. Doom. Yeah, he has forty sounds on that drum. Yeah, he was using and, like an old beat up Rogers kit, I think, back yeah, then. Totally you know, single headed. Yeah, and I'd never seen anybody put like a tambourine and just leave it on the floor tom and yeah. just let it sit there and bounce around. And I was like, "What?" I mean, it was really. I, I you know, it's funny now that we're talking about him. I I think I really discounted how much influence he had on me because I wasn't obsessed with it. I was just kind of watching it from the periphery, going like, "Okay, I guess this exists. Mm-hmm. I dig it." but I don't get it yet. And now I look back and think like, man, there's so many things I do that are Billy Martin inspired. I mean, not to mention I have studied, is this book a rhythm? All right. Yeah. Great book. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not, it's a very unconventional book. Yeah. It's don't start with it if you're book, new at drumming, yeah. but if you're ready to get into that stuff, once again, simple patterns, you got to orchestrate them. Um, yeah. He's but basically that's taking a all the different bell patterns from around the globe and, and clave patterns and combining them in ways that leave it completely up to you to figure out how to make music out of it. I think it's, it's yeah. awesome. He doesn't use typical and, notation. He's using his yeah. own form of notation. It's really, I really like, it. I think it's a good one. If, if, if either you are bad at creativity or you, that's all you want to do. It's like, that's a book yeah. to go into. It's an endless it's, creative. It is. Book. It's a. It's the book that you kind of will actually have to eventually buy a second one because you'll wear your first one out. Like the pages yeah. will start to fall out because it. It's a lifetime of study. And the other thing I liked, and I'm. I know I'm going to butcher this because it's been a while since I've seen the book or since I've worked out of it. But I think in the very beginning of the book, he redefines what we think clave means because we think clave is literally these four Cuban patterns and one Brazilian one, and he defines it more like the way you and I would think of an ostinato, but a rhythmic ostinato. Yeah, yeah. And like every culture has its own clave. Every music exactly culture has its own clave. And, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I see that now. And um, yeah, I mean, I think he's brilliant. And I, I also um, we have his DVD on repeat in our lobby, you know, because like one. Modern Drummer Festival, Modern Drummer Festival. Billy Martin's DVD. Yeah. And it's really 
quite cool. I mean, very few people, when they make a DVD, let you in on their world. But there's like clips of him in private lessons with his students. That's crazy. Is the one called A Life on Drums or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's and a it's, it's really cool. Well, um, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a true artist. I mean, he's a painter. You know, he's a writer. Is he really? Yeah, he's, he's a filmmaker. Uh, you know, so he's – and he also has – he's one of the first that I remember of, of name drummers having camps. Like he has guys come yeah. to his house in New Jersey and basically just camp out with them, or they'll go upstate or whatever. But he's been doing those forever. I mean, since I first started here, so we're going on 13 years. I did a woodshed story on his place when he just built his his basically a woodshed in his backyard so he could have camps. So I have guys wow. come over and just learn you know different world rhythms and improvisation. Mostly, it was mostly like an improvisation camp, unlocking. Yeah people from the you know the insecurity of of improvising um, really cool cool spot how too. cool is that yeah that was that was fun and i love that he has a one 16 inch ride symbol and that's it that's his setup <laughs> really <laughs> yeah dude that's awesome <laughs> and the explanation was because he can fit it in a suitcase <laughs> done <laughs> done I, well that's a it's a great reason to have it <laughs> He's he's a true artist, man. I mean, yeah, I, I I really like. But what I like is that um, for guys like myself that grew up doing the rock thing, he's a little more relatable than maybe uh, the jazz ver- the pure jazz version. You know, yeah, because um, yeah, he's a hip hop guy too. He came up in hip hop, so he's got okay. that aesthetic. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it has a pocket to it, and I, I remember kind of discovering him and Ari Honig around the same time, mm. and I just. I kind of got this, you know, and it's like, yeah. okay, I still can't do it, but I get it. I see where this relates. And most importantly, like a Matt Chamberlain thing, I just love the texture. There were these yep. sounds where I'm like, he's playing the same instrument that I play, but God, it sounds different. It sounds, <laughs> he just has more sounds than I do. To me, all of my drums were very one dimensional. A snare goes crack, a rack tom goes doom, and a crash goes psh. Yep. But he, he made a thousand sounds out of those few instruments. And, uh, so if you guys haven't checked out Billy Martin, definitely check him out. Check him out with Medeski Martin and Wood. Uh, and then, like Mike said, if you're if you're ready to get into a serious multi year rhythmic journey, check out his book Rhythm. Is it R I D I M or I think it's two D's R I D D I M. Okay, and I would also um, suggest he did. Um, I think it's three volumes of of his own break beats, like a like a beat collection. So there's uh-huh. a there's a box set that you can get. It's called Illy B Eats. So like Billy Beats, but okay. the B's in the middle. Illy B Eats box set volume one two through three. I love it. I throw it on all the time. It's just him playing grooves, which is really, really interesting sounds. So and you're textures. not using him to make loops up. You're using it just to listen. I and just be inspired listen by to it. It's good for play on really practice. Cool. It's because he's 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 got a good aesthetic, so it just sounds awesome. It's not like super clean drum sample loop library. It's right three minutes of a really interesting texture. Oh man, that's that's a great right. So you can get that, three that volumes. Week. Yeah, twenty. I think it's like twenty six <laughs> bucks. It looks like, but his website. I think is just billymartin.com now. You can probably buy it there, but yeah, check it out. Illy B Eats. It's, I think it's an awesome name, too. That's awesome. <laughs> and then he's got a bunch of like really abstract improvisation stuff that's also not as easy to listen to, but it's very interesting. So yeah, check it cool. out. He's a cool guy. Hey, uh, speaking of featured artists, our featured artist last week was Michael Miley. Did you see that video he made? 
after our podcast talking about splashes with your left foot. He made a whole lesson with Rival Sons. He did it at a sound check. He made a whole lesson on left foot splashes. And he was like, hey, Mike and Mike, we're just talking about this on their That's podcast. Amazing. So I wanted to show you how I use it. It's really cool, man. I saw that he said something on Twitter about, hey, I'm going to do some left foot splashes during sound check. But I didn't see anything. Yeah, he made that. a whole lesson on it. It was, it was really good. I gotta He's check a it stud, out. man. Yeah, he's a stud. Uh, so, all right. Well, everybody, check out Billy Martin. And now it is time for gear review. And unlike listening to different drumsticks, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah, listening to drumsticks was pretty exciting, but this is really exciting because Dawson's going to blow some serious chops on this Bucks County semi-solid mahogany poplar <laughs> drum set. Actually, yeah. let me ask you this: Are you the one that played this demo? I did, and I just play like okay, a cool. beat for like. Right on, man! I'm glad I oversold that. <laughs> Uh, so <laughs> semi-solid mahogany poplar give me the breakdown what is this all right so we have we have talked about bucks county drums uh sure. several times i think we reviewed the bebop kit so this was the second kit that he had sent a while ago that it just took me a while to review it is so their thing um that he's currently offering is he does a steam bent core and then he puts okay. uh maple on i always want to get this get this reversed so there's uh maple on the inside like reinforcement rings on the inside and then maple on the outside as well but the bearing edge is cut so it's just on that solid steam bent core oh wow so the steam bent core is what poplar it can be anything and this kit is oh i got it's mahogany uh toms and the bass drum is poplar I gotcha. So okay. you can get any species you want, but this this was the combination that he thought sounded good for this big kit: twenty four inch bass drum, thirteen inch rack tom, sixteen inch floor tom. Uh, so it's kind of neat. So he's combining kind of the easy because you can work with a ply shell a lot easier for constructing drums, and it's more stable and it's you know just easier to work with. But then you have that like full tone of a of a steam bent shell. So it's kind of a neat combination. Um, I've liked every drum that I've played of theirs. I thought it was was pretty top notch. So this one has the classic black diamond pearl finish, which is my all time favorite finish. It's what my Ludwig kit is in. He was he was buttering you up, dude. He knew he he did his research. <laughs> He's like Mike's gonna Mike won't even be able to listen. He'll just love the look of it. I'm just gonna love it. It does look good. Beaver tail lugs. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, it, it's it's like a throwback vintage style. Now, what was interesting? He he originally sent the kit with single flange hoops on the toms. Um, and I felt like those hoops didn't like the the shell was just too powerful for the hoops. First time I've ever had okay. that thought in my mind. I felt like the tone of the shell was just too much for those thin hoops to like contain. Okay, it could have been a complete psychosomatic response or something, but it just felt like it was like not giving me the full tone. So then I had him. Uh, also, we tried. What did they end up being thicker? I think they're. Uh, they're triple flange, but they're like the thicker one, 3.0s, okay. I think. It's like those power hoops. Yeah, so they're like not quite a die cast, but getting a little bit yep. more sturdy than that. Mm-hmm. And I put those on there, and it made the drums like really punchy. And I really, didn't, I didn't feel like the tone was like. I felt like with the single flange, the tone was just kind of going everywhere. And this kind of just made it like a nice tight, punchy. Uh, I mean, if you want to say more like a Gretsch type of a sound, like a more of a focused kind of a sure punch. So it's kind of neat. So that's an option. You can get any any hoops you want on it. Nice shallow bass drum. So it's 24 by 14. Yep. Yeah, it's classic, old school. So rad. Big old I'm drum. I'm just looking at it right now, and, and I'm looking from the top down on your video, and 
the rack tom takes up the entire depth of the bass drum. <laughs> um, and then now in the photo you guys have, it has a snare on it, but it just looks, is that not their snare? It is. I just didn't include oh, it, it in the review because it's, okay. I think uh, I have to talk to His name is Chris Carr. He's the owner builder. I'm not sure if that's actually available, so I didn't want to talk about gotcha. it if it isn't completely available yet, but it's a hybrid okay. shell with aluminum and wood. Whoa. Yeah. It doesn't suck. No, that sounds awesome. Um, Very cool. Well, let's uh, let's give it a listen, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. sounds great and i think it really dispels the myth of what a 24 by 14 or a 24 inch bass drum is going to be everyone just thinks it's boom yeah no that was super punchy yeah sounded great the toms like you said were super punchy and got out of the way no overtones yeah no muffling Um, on these drums wow dude that just that really sounded like a sound check of a session yeah you know when they go okay give me the whole kit and, exactly. you, and then you go back in the control room. That's exactly what that sounded like. That's kind of what I was hoping these drums would do because, I, I mean, to, to just make it sound like an old vintage drum, like, well, then just use an old vintage drum, like a big boomy, right. boomy drum set. I was hoping this would be kind of the, like, modern version of a of a, of a vintage-type sound. Yeah. I think that's what it's got. It's got the... Dude, it could really fantastic. Like, I used this on a, on a live gig that I thought was going to be louder than it was, and I was like... I was like riding a bull all night. <laughs> it's like these drums just want to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best analogy ever. Riding a bull. Like, Come on now, settle down, <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude. They they sound fantastic. I, I'm really impressed by the toms. How there was just. I mean, I'm looking at at the at the image of the video, and I'm I'm like, where the hell's the muffling? Why yeah, are they just no. going, why are they just doing their job and getting out of the way, yep. you know? Yep, that's, um, that's, and uh, so I'll tell you everything I, because I tried this, this kid a bunch of different ways. So the first thing was the hoops. Like, I wanted to try okay. different hoops. And then I also, because it came with um, coated double-ply, clear single-ply bottom, I wanted to try a coated bottom as well. Yep. And that also, that also attributes to a little bit of the warmer tom sound. Because mm-hmm. uh, like I said, in general, I felt like these drums sounded like like vintage drums on overdrive. It was just so much sound coming out of them. Gotcha. Yeah. That I just wanted to see if I could just tame it down with the, you know, the firmer hoops and coated heads on the bottom. And it kind of got it like the perfect balance mm-hmm. for me. I think it's a great sounding kit. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm super so. impressed. I mean, it just, like I said, as soon as you started playing, <clears throat> it triggered every time I've ever been in a, a session and they go, okay, come on in, check it out. And you go in and it's like, uh, that sounds rad, and you know. <laughs> Roll. Um, and cool. what's funny is it's never my kit; it's always their house Gretsch kit or their house Ludwig kit, oh, yeah, you know. Yeah. And um, and it has that kind of sound, uh, so that that's fantastic, man. So check out Bucks County Percussion. Uh, do you know what their website is? It's Bucks County Drum Company. The website itself is. Uh, I don't have it. <laughs> cool. 
Type into Google Bucks County Drum Company. But you can their social media handle is Bucks County Drums. Perfect. Yeah. Definitely check it out. All right, guys. Well, let's get into some listener questions. Mike and I are at the top of our game today, and we'll just continue that as we give you advice on what to do with the rest of your life. Oh, man. Just Google Bucks County Drums, for gosh sakes. <laughs> well, I kind of – I didn't snap the other day on a live lesson, but I kind of did. Somebody said, uh, hey, what's the best – we were doing an interface uh, live uh, stream, and they said, what's the best interface to get for $400 that can handle eight channels? And I, I – I tried to be as polite as I could. I said, well, I'll just do what you should do. I'm gonna, and I took out my iPad. I'm like, I'm going to Google eight-channel interface. <laughs> and, and I was just like, well, there's three here for $4.99 so, or for $3.99. Let's look it up. And it's like sometimes you got to just look things up. That's, I don't know why people would want to skip that step. Like that's, the, that's so much fun. Yeah. I gotta I'm obsessed you. with that part. <laughs> we used to have – we were doing like the – it was like you know the early days of the internet are here. Like we were including websites in like every article, it was just like sure. constant. And there was one one particular day when it was one. I remember one of the editors like so we had forgotten to put the artist's website in there. It's like don't we think we should add their website at the end? And another guy goes, "But it's ToddSukerman dot com." <laughs> like why do we need to put ToddSukerman dot com? <laughs> It's like you'll find it. It's, just Google I mean, just, it. <laughs> yeah, it's at the top of your browser. It says it's this little thing with gray letters that says "search" and there's a magnifying glass. Type in anything, you'll be amazed. <laughs> they probably know what you're looking for. So, and you know what? Let me let me just uh, test out old Google here. Um, you gonna search for Todd Zuckerman? Nope. <laughs> I'm going to mess it up. Boom. I typed in Bucks County Percussion, which is my misspeaking. Yeah. And the first thing that comes up is BucksCountyDrumCo.com. There we go. So we See, just proved that Google is smarter than it us. It just took us five minutes to find that website. <laughs> and I typed in the wrong thing into the search, and we still found it. So you'll be just fine. All right, let's get into some listener questions. <laughs> okay, so this one is coming from Gregor. Um. Okay, so it says, when you think of your experiences as drum teachers and all the students you have taught, could you come up with a few categories or different ways how people learn? What I mean is when you have sure. 10 different students that share one goal, um, there are different ways or methods of achieving that goal depending on how somebody learns. Would mm-hmm. you share that idea? If so, what types of different types of learners and different types of methods could you think of? Uh, yeah. I don't have a formal way. I mean, you do more teachings that I can, I can give you my quick one. Yeah, uh, I generally just read the mood of the student week to week. So if I know, like, I know inevitably we need to get through some basic reading and some basic coordination and some basic technique. So I just kind of get a feel for where what what is going to work this week and which mm-hmm. of these gaps can we fill. So I I don't take a complete linear approach anymore. Because if I had one kid who's just having a bad day and he's not focused, and we're going to do eight on a hand for a half hour, it's not going to happen. So right. I'll just take him to the kit, and that's when we explore orchestration of a basic group right. or something. That's my thought. So I just kind of use my my feelers for what how what's the vibe for that student sure. in that week, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, for for me, it's uh, as far as how people learn. <clears throat> I, I think of it: the simple divide is: do you want to read it or do you want to hear it? Um, mm. When when I started playing. <clears throat> in churches a little bit and started especially getting to know a bunch of different gospel drummers it was all by ear they're like hey can you play that again and i'm like i'll just write it down on the snare head for you you know like and they're like no no just play it again 
Hmm. And then and I would slow it down. They're like, no, no, don't slow it down. That will screw me up. Just play it again. <laughs> and they would get it in a second. I was like, God, your ears are incredible. Huh. Uh, for me, you got to write it down. There's, I, You don't even need to play it again. Just write it down. I'll figure it out. So really what I do early on in the student's journey is I'll say, okay, I'm going to write this groove out for you. And I want to see how long it takes you to, to learn it. And I time it. And it's like, cool, seven minutes. That's great. Now I'm going to play a totally different groove. And I'm going to loop it. And then you keep trying to jump in with me. And then as soon as you match up with me, then I'll look at the timer. Oh, four minutes. Okay, cool. Now I know that you learn better by hearing. And then what I want you to do is I want you to stand over my shoulder and just look down at me playing and imagine my hands are your hands. And I'm going to play this, and I want you to go to the kit back and forth until you get this down. And I time that. And then I just look at those numbers, and I say, okay, you definitely learn better from watching me play. Or you learn better from closing your eyes and hearing me play. You imagine it. Or you learn better uh, from reading it, um, and then and then for some for most of my students, it's a combination. It's that I have it on the sheet in front of them, I'm looping it, and they're looking over at me back and forth and looking at the music in the back. And so, um, but yeah, I definitely identify early on in the student's journey how they learn best, and then I actually try to slowly get them better at the two that they're lacking in. Like, mm. okay, let's let's develop your ears because I can write it and you learn it in a second, but when you have to hear it, you just can't get it. So that's. I, you don't get to be let off the hook because you're more natural at the other. I have to build up the ones that you're lacking in. So. Yeah, oh, I like it. I have to try some of that. I remember that was one of the things Dom Famalaro talked about when I interviewed him. He's he kind of goes through a checklist of you know what are your interests and what can you do. And that was one of the things. Like if you hate learning out of books, well then we're going to learn out of books. He kind of totally. yeah. goes a little bit more forceful the other way. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's important, you know, and it depends on if it's something that the student needs to learn by tomorrow, I'm not going to force them to do what they're at least natural at. It's yeah. like, cool, I know your fastest way to the pie, so yeah. I'm going to get you there. But at the same time, when we do have a little bit more leisure time, I'm going to build up your reading capabilities. So, Sweet. All right, this one comes from Lucas. I recently purchased a 1970s Slingerland kit. Congratulations. Awesome. Uh, it's in pretty rough shape. I'm willing, wanting to restore it, and my question is, how important is it to keep it all original? Uh, for example, the bass drum hoops are chewed and dinged up. Uh, I, I want to hand sand them smooth again as opposed to per, uh, purchasing mm. a new hoop. So we're just wondering our thoughts on this topic. Um, should I give my two cents? You Go for it. So yeah. um, I'm not a collector. I'm a, I'm a player, so... I never have in the back of my mind that I'm going to be like reselling this stuff. I'm, I'm right. ultimately thinking I'm going to play it and use it until I find something better that I can replace it with, and then I'll right. sell it. I'm never thinking buy it, fix it up, and sell it to make money. That's never. That's just not the way that I think about this stuff. That said, keep all the original parts. Yes, you never know. Just keep keep it all. Keep the heads. Keep everything. Put it in a box. I mean, there's guys who'll buy old heads from the '60s for you know 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. So, just in case you need to put it back together in original shape, so that and I, so I wouldn't sand down the hoops. I'd keep them original. Just get some spares. It'll save you a lot of time, and they're not that expensive. But get it to the point where you get it to where you want it to be, um, and don't be afraid to play it. But yeah, don't throw out anything. That would be, that would be my suggestion. I, can, I completely agree. I mean, that that's exactly what I would do. I would take everything that's kind of in your mind at the moment janky that goes in a box labeled. And you keep it because someone will want those original parts and they don't want you messing with them. And then I would just get some flat 
natural maple base drum hoops and stain them whatever color you want. Paint yep. them black, stain them a, a, the color to match your kit, do whatever you want with them. Um, and then that way you have you can update all the modern stuff you want and play those great sounding Slingerland shells. And then if you ever do decide to sell it, you can let the buyer know, hey, here's all the it, you know the improvements I've made, but here's the box of all the original stuff. Yeah, so, yeah that's perfect. All right, next one is from Morgan. Um, pretty simple question, that not necessarily a simple answer. So can you please... Explain the function of the hi-hat uh, tilter, the bottom hi-hat tilter. Ah. Well, in the beginning, for me, I didn't like it because my OCD doesn't want one of those symbols to be at a different angle than the top. Uh. <laughs> and as a rock player, I wasn't using the hi-hat with my foot at all. I only either kept it tight or relaxed it. So yeah, didn't I, I really didn't use it. And then once I started becoming much more of a what I am now, which is I would say I'm Seventy percent of my drumming is on one of my two rides, and then uh, and my left foot is quite active. Yeah, it sucks when it goes hush, hush, <laughs> hush, and, and it's like, wait, where's the chick? So, so at least, and, and you know, maybe I'm not even correct in this, but for me, that tilter was so that I could angle the bottom symbol slightly and get a better chick out of closing the symbols with my feet. Yeah, I is think that that's, what it's meant for? I think its sole function is to prevent airlock. That's it. Yeah. It's, okay. And I've found that sometimes I don't even realize it, and the tilter is turned the wrong way. So the symbol is actually angling away from me a little bit. Uh-huh. And it always happens when I'm already at the gig, already set up, ready to play, and that drives me nuts. I'm like, Ugh. really? Because okay. it just looks, it's just a I could, yeah, slightly yeah. askew, and I'm uh-huh. like, Ugh. I'd rather be uh-huh. aim, leaning towards me than slightly. Away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could see that. Feels like like you're just kind of slipping to the left a little. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm gonna fall over here. <laughs> so, the hell is going all on? The time, because I never think about it until I'm already set right. up and the memory lock's already tightened down. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not gonna mess with it. But yeah. yeah, I would think you really don't need to do much. It's just like a slight, nope. a couple yep. twists. You don't want to be like extreme, just enough so you don't get that hollow puff. That's that's all I know is a function. Now, here's a question about hi hats. Okay, have you noticed in different rooms the foot chick can be more articulate or cleaner than in others? Well, or different. Let's days? be honest. How how many different rooms do I play in? Uh, well, you do clinics and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, the, with the clinics, honestly, I think what it is is that my clinics, I never get to use my gear, so I'm not A-being it uh, right, yeah. at all. Um, and even if it's like – because I don't always fly with my symbols. The other thing is there's always a, a flight and a hotel stay between the last time I played my kit and then this next thing. Yeah. So it, honestly, the whole kit feels awkward to me. So yeah. Yeah. do you notice that a lot? I do, and I don't know if it's just because I'm insane or what, but it's like different. <laughs> it's like some rooms, it's like the left foot is like so articulate, and I feel like I've, I can play like 16th notes with it. And then I get to another room, and I'm like, I can't even close this wish, thing. Wish, wish, yeah, wish, wish. It's like, what is going on? Same stand, same symbols. I was just going to ask, so you always keep the same hardware? Yeah, everything's the same. It's just yeah. like some days, it, I, it's, I don't know what it is. It's probably hey, speaking, just the frequencies of the room. Speaking of your hardware and... Uh, Especially your hat. I don't know if you saw, but on Twitter somebody tweeted us that Pearl has a full set of those flat base stands as well. Yeah, yeah, um, they had those in Nam, I believe, this year. Okay, yeah, okay. So it's I a new thing. I, for I them. haven't checked those out. I don't know how. Like again, like I said, the Tama one is the smallest, lightest one I've seen. Right. The DW stuff because I do use that now. It has maybe an extra inch of length when you come back the whole thing all the way down. Uh, I haven't tried the Pearls yet, but cool. I'm sure cool. it's great. I mean, their stuff has yeah. always been great. So I'm sure it's awesome. Agreed. All right, next question. All right, this one comes from, I think it's Jansen from Ottawa. Um, Great name. 
He says, I've owned a Roland SBDS pad for many years and is starting to, you know, he's looking to replace it. So he's he's considering the SBDSX or the Yamaha DTX Multi 12. Okay. Um, he's essentially think he can't go wrong with either one. Um, 80% of the time would be using the onboard sounds and then 20% of the time sampling. So his question is, is the SBDSX worth the extra cost? And is sampling an issue or more difficult with the DTX Multi 12? Uh, well, I have the DTX Multi 12, and what one do you have? I have the SPDS and the SPDSX. I just recently upgraded it. All right, so you give the Roland. So I would say the uh, SPDSX is a million times better for getting your own samples into it than the SPDS because you don't have to deal okay. with. You can do it all in your computer, and you don't have to deal with like loading it off of the card into the the module. I mean, it takes forever to do that with the right. original one. So, in that case, if you're doing a lot of like you know constantly swapping out loops and samples and stuff, it's great. I have I think it was super fast. Um, I probably saved myself three or four hours of pre production switching. Uh, so, in that sense, the onboard sounds of the Roland. I don't use a lot of them, so I, I wouldn't right. say that it's superior. I mean, I, I use it for 808-type sounds and stuff, but aside from that, I think the power of that pad is is the sampling capability. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, with the Multi-12, unless they've made an upgrade recently, um, let's see, perfect for fleshing out your acoustic kit or programs and your DAW, unless they've made a, an upgrade recently, I think... Um, you do have to bring it in via a, a card. Um, okay. So like they a don't have USB a software stick. manager. I, I'm not sure. Like I said, it would it would be something that would have been updated recently that I don't know about. Um, but it you know once it's in there, it's fine. Once again, same thing with you. I mean, it's 1,277 voices, and I don't use any of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I bring in my own loops, my own one shots, my own samples. I, I did. There's footage of me playing an entire song built out of loops uh and these are like one to two bar loops on uh the 2012 minor drum fest and all i'm using is that multi-12 mm. to trigger these huge symphonic things and i'm layering loops and layering and layering so it, it is it is great but like you said about the other roland it, it's it's definitely a process to bring in those loops yeah. um so and I would have loved to be able to do it from my laptop. So like I said, um, I'd be happy if any of the guys from Yamaha want to chime in, or anybody that owns uh, or have maybe updated the software. Because I'm looking at the newest version right now, and it looks identical to the one that I have. So it's definitely not a new unit. They just might have updated the software. And I don't know about it. So yeah, I mean they do. They do have some sort of uh, app that that controls their new e kits. So maybe the Correct. Multi Twelve is that's why I was thinking functioning. But I'm not sure. Yeah, I think either um, one of those pads. The ultimate answer is they're going to be great. They're going to be yeah. a, they're going to be a step up from the SPDS, I would think. Um, and case, what is the what is the one that you have? How many pads does it have? The I think both the the S and the SX have nine nine, nine? pads. Okay, so that's another factor too. Um, you know, the Yamaha will have twelve. Now, sometimes those twelve can get in your way. You know, yeah. um, can be come too much so it really has to be the one that fits you best but i, I do know this they're both top notch so all righty we got well, time for one more let's do one more because this one is kind of relevant to uh, gear talk and i wanted to make okay. sure i didn't forget so this comes from isaac um 
So he's, I've been playing all different size venues from small clubs to large outdoor amphitheaters, and I want to be able to use my in-ear monitors everywhere. Is there a standard kit that I should have for me or any pieces of gear that you guys consider a standard uh, for this type of situation? I usually bring my Shure body pack and a small 8-channel Mackie mixer, uh, but I feel like I usually get a funny look when I ask for a quarter-inch line for, the, for his monitor. Uh, and if I get an XLR line, I end up having to set up the mixer and not use the body pack. So basically, he's looking for a simple way to always use his in-ear monitors. And uh, this NAMM show, and I believe it's available now, um, this will be the answer to all of your problems. Universal okay. Audio, oh, uh, sorry, Ultimate Ears uh-huh. has the, it's called the Sound Tap. And the heading is Turn Any Stage Mix into a Headphone Mix. So it's a little black box that you take you literally go up to the stage monitor that you're using unplug it plug it into this box and then plug Done. your inner monitors into it and you have you know basically whatever you're getting in your wedge will now be in your in-ear monitors Done yeah so you don't have to mess with the sound guy at all you can just unplug the monitor plug this thing in you got a volume control um, you can also send a line out of it if you need to then run back into the monitor so there's there's sound for someone That's else That's really cool Yeah yeah, I haven't tried. Or, it I mean, yet, for so me, I, w- I would love that because a lot of times I would like to have in my clinics. I would like to have the track playing in one of my in ears, have one of my in ears out, and then on the one that's out, have a floor wedge next to yeah, me. Yeah, right. Um, so I can hear my actual drums because a lot of times I do these clinics and like I'm doing a clinic in Dublin on Saturday, Dublin, California, on Saturday, and I know that they the room's so small they're not going to mic my kit. So once I put my in-ears in, I can't monitor myself at all. I'm just uh, kind of yeah. deaf, yeah. and I'm playing in this vacuum, and it sucks. But if I take my in-ear out, now it's like I can't hear the track well enough to stay on yep. with it. So it'd be great to be able to have the track come to me in my in-ear, and then out of this, I go to a floor wedge, and that shoots it up at me from the floor. There you go. It's 250 bucks. Uh, they also have a package where you can get a set of their non-custom old in-ears along with it. I think that's... Uh, it's a few hundred hours more, but I haven't tried it yet, so I couldn't make it my pick of the week. But this was definitely one of the hot items that, that is, was announced this year. It looks super simple. I mean, it has XLR yeah. or quarter inch, so you literally whatever your monitor setup is, if you, you just have jack, jack you just, the cable, just take the cable out of it and <laughs> stick this. Don't even it. tell the sound. Guy. <laughs> just make sure you put man. it back afterwards. Yes, yeah, that's so awesome. That, well, would, that, that would get rid of needing a eight channel mixer and having to deal with you know sound guys, grumpy sound guys. So check it out. Yep. Boom. Ultimate right. ears sound tap. All right. So let's get to our picks of the <laughs> week. My pick of the week this time is something, full disclosure, that I am endorsed by, which is a minor symbol, but it's a minor symbol that I uh, I had on my kit to do something specific. I can't remember what I was doing, but I just threw it on the kit on my left side over my hi-hats and over my rack tom uh, as a second ride, and it hasn't left. It's been about a week and a half now, and I can't stop using it, and that's the 22-inch uh, Byzance Big Apple Dark Ride. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. And it really complements the transition ride really well. The transition ride, which was supposed to be my washy, kind of crashable ride, actually becomes the stick definition ride. And like the, um, it's like my, well, my higher volume symbol. And then the 22 Big Apple Dark is very thin, has great stick definition, um, but it's a quieter symbol. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, it really complements it well. And, I'm I'm looking at it right now, thinking like I think I'm actually taking that with me to my clinic. Um, so having a 22 you know. on the left side doesn't cramp you up. 
Not really. I mean, uh, 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 no, no, it's not too bad. I mean, I don't do. I don't. I don't use the rack tom that much. Maybe a little Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, <laughs> flat doom, got to doom. But no, it, it's been fine. It is angled down. It's angled down like a jazz player would have uh-huh. their second ride. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you saw my setup right now. Until you touch the drums, you would assume that I play jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just been writing on my left side a lot, like especially with like the faster stuff. I, I don't know why it's like I'm staying in home base. Yeah, Dude, but did you just buy a Harley? Yeah, I guess so. They're delivering it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! You just got like all like man on me. I'm sure that was. A, I'm sure that was a truck. <laughs> okay. Well, all I heard was whoa. And I just imagined you like drinking a Rockstar Energy drink and like trying to get in a bar fight with a No Fear yeah. sticker on the back of your truck. <laughs> wow, took me to, to, to 1998 Dawson. No Fear sticker. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. You want to fight? I'm gonna go watch the UFC later tonight. Anyways, uh, hey, I do like the UFC. Don't be knocking the UFC. I'm, I'm a <laughs> huge proponent of the UFC. By the way. Uh, for people like me that aren't very good at physical contact, never knock the UFC ever because whoever <laughs> likes it probably can fight. So it's like just stay away from them. <laughs> just say, yeah, man, love yeah. it, love one, everything. One time we'll go on. I think it's a beautiful combination of of, of instinct and art, and I think it's it's it, okay. So it, when we're ready to check out, we'll talk UFC, <laughs> Trump firing uh, the FBI director. Oh my. And- <laughs> Okay, my pick of the week is there. We go. Hello. Uh, I've I've been I do a lot of my mixing at home late at night, so I can't have my studio monitors cranked. So I've been trying out a ton of headphones to try to find what pair of headphones gives me the actual true sound and not like an overhyped, too much bass or too much yeah, too much high end. Almost all of commercial. You know, headphones you can buy in a regular store will have too much bass and too much high end. So then, when you they're listen sweetening to, the sound for you, so that yeah. the headphones sound better to you. So yeah. you listen to it on a stereo or in your car, and it just it sounds awful, like too much mid range and stuff. So I got a set of Yamaha. I think this is the model number I have: HPH-MT8, and it's essentially they recreated the response of the classic NS10 speakers, NS10s. yeah, and put them in headphones. So that's pretty awesome. It's not like a pleasurable headphone that you're like you're gonna go to the gym and wear these and listen to your favorite right. tracks. It's a pretty uh, revealing mix where you're getting like a, you're getting you're hearing all the frequencies exactly as you record them, as close as it possibly could be in a set of headphones. I mean, so, they're literally labeled as mix headphones. Yeah, exactly. And I've had no translation issues of mixing with the headphones and then listening on other systems and being like, whoa, where'd all that low end come from? Or what was all that mid-range coming from? So they're pretty true, accurate, transparent. Um, so if you're going to be mixing your drum recordings on the road or late at night and you can't actually listen to on good speakers, or if you just don't have a mixing setup, these are yeah. pretty accurate. I've been really happy with them. So if you guys have ever been in the studio, but you're not a studio rat, you've just maybe done like a couple demos with your band, you'll always see these like medium-sized speakers, black speaker box with a white speaker cone. Yeah. And yeah. you'll never get a chance to hear your mix through that because that's what your engineer is going to mix with once you leave. <laughs> He's going to play your stuff through these big-ass speakers that you're like, yeah, we rock. <laughs> you guys go out to lunch, he mixes on the NS10s. Um, so yeah, that's, You don't want to hear your the, raw recordings. You do too. not want to. And that's what I've got sitting right in front of me. I've got two NS10s, and that's what I do everything on. Yeah. Um, 
But and and even with those, I don't have it set up properly. My room isn't really EQ'd for it, and I don't even have them at ear level. And they're very directional. Like mm. when I mix, I literally bend down and like get in front of them. Um, so it would be really nice to have these headphones. And as a Yamaha have, artist, do you have I will the new ones or today? New ones or the old ones? You have the power. Unfortunately, ones? unfortunately, I do have the new ones, do and they're they not tweeters in them. Uh, yes. So yeah. I learned uh, a trick from my producer buddy Butch Jones, where especially when you're mixing next to a computer and you can't okay. you can't get them wide enough. Uh-huh. You instead of having a vertical, put them horizontal with the tweeters furthest out. Oh, that gives you a more accurate stereo image, dude. That's great. That's great advice. Yeah, I do that at yeah. home, and it's it's crazy. All of a sudden, I'm like hearing the left and right, like beyond where the speaker ends. I can actually hear it throwing the stereo image a little bit wider. Pretty neat. That sounds awesome. It I'll might mess it with go. your OCD because they're they're crooked. But <laughs> my, but yeah, I was gonna say my speakers in here are literally for looks, and then it's the most inconvenient thing when I mix because I have to sit in front of them. Luckily, because I don't move anything and I've had the same setup for a while, I've kind of got it dialed in. But yeah, when I'm when someone else is playing my drums and I have to remix for their style, I yeah. have to like get my head in front of it. So these <laughs> these headphones would be a dream come true. Yeah, HP. and two hundred bucks. I mean, for mixing headphones. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'm mixing with maybe four to five hundred dollar custom in ear monitors. So to me, this is not expensive at all for a great set of mixing headphones. Yeah, and it's great because unlike in ears, you can just take them off and check them on your speakers, and you can you can constantly reference. Yeah, you can't just you know, shove it's, your in ears. It's just in getting out. people to understand what the point of these are because you spend two hundred bucks, you're like, it's going to sound amazing. It's like, no, 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 you spent two hundred to hear the truth. Are yeah. you you sure you can handle the truth? It's like it's a high like, end microphone, you know. It totally is. Yeah. That's everybody's like, dude, your expensive microphone sounds the worst. I'm like, no, it sounds the most honest. Now I can do whatever <laughs> I want with it. That cheap microphone changed everything, and I have no flexibility with it. Oh, it just yeah. said, we assume you're going you're gonna to like this. Exactly. It's like, well, I don't want that sound. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, thanks for all the listener questions. Keep sending your questions into mdinfo@moderndrummer.com. We are coming up on our 100th episode. We're, we're going to have a pretty awesome giveaway pack for you guys. We'll talk about that more coming up. Uh, also, we recently passed the 500,000 downloads, Mark. So, uh, so thank you guys so much. Yeah, Just thank you. It's unbelievable. Way beyond anything Mike and myself ever conceived of with this. This was not some master plan to create a you know, uh, something other than let's just do it to do it. And so we're really appreciative of your guys' support and the fact that you guys follow this podcast. And we hope it gets you through your day a little bit easier. Everyone have a great week. Mike, I will see you soon, bud. Indeed. See you. Later, bud. I I won't see you soon. I'll just talk to you. (laughs)